You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. All right, if you have a Bible, turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we'll be there in just a second. And let me just say, man, what a day it was yesterday. I'm so, so sorry. It was brutal. And, uh, but you made it to church today, so at least you didn't, you know, wallow and, and sleep in. You made it to church, and so pat yourself on the back. And one way I'm going to try to comfort you and give you some encouragement, uh, we're going to talk about sex today uh, from the Bible. So hopefully that'll, hopefully that'll make things better. Um, now, I don't know if you were like me, raised in church uh, or just even in the Bible Belt, the way that most churches and the way that most Christians approached this topic was kind of like the 80s, you know, anti-drug campaign, just say no, right? That was just kind of like, don't, don't think about it, don't talk about it, that's just not something we discuss, you know, that's just, it's just not something we're going we're gonna to deal with. Now, that's, that was the typical experience. I'll say this, and, and, and it was horrifying at the time, that was not my experience, Okay. My experience growing up was I have, a, I have a father who was a preacher and would travel all over the country doing marriage and family conferences in which, I mean, from the time I'm like six years old, I heard my dad saying, ladies, let me just give you a piece of advice. You need to burn the flannel gown, okay? Don't wear flannel gowns to bed unless they have holes in them and you're going to let us play hide and seek, Okay. I heard that from the time I was six years old, okay? And now at six, I laughed just like you're laughing, and I had no idea what that meant. I just, everybody else is laughing, so I laughed. When I was a teenager, I laughed like nervously. And now that I'm married, I'm like, man, that was, a, that was really a good idea. That was a great, that was a great sermon. Um, and so, uh, but the typical, the typical experience for most people, most churches, most Christians, is just this, let's not talk about it. And that's caused all kinds of problems and all kinds of challenges. For our, for our kids, uh, little kids, even into the teenage years, now all of a sudden sex is this taboo topic, it's forbidden, and they are curious about it, but they don't have a biblical framework on sex being a good gift that God has given us to enjoy in marriage, they've just been told no, 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 and so they're, they're curious about it, and so when the time is right in marriage, they don't know what to do with it, okay? And so first word to parents, parents, be the expert on this topic with your kids. I know that initially it may be uncomfortable, and it's not it's something you really want to talk about, but if you're not the expert on this topic, guess who will be? their friends, or their telephone. And that's not a good idea. And so you need to be the expert on this with your children. This just say no approach, what happens is when, when couples get married, so they're newlyweds and then on into marriage, the challenge that they face is they can't enjoy intimacy in marriage because they've not been taught how to deal with it. They've not been taught uh, kind of given tools on how to uh, approach this. And so it, it goes from just say no, just say no, just say no to, okay, now you're married, have at it. But there's nothing else. There's no training. There's no equipment that, that's been given in terms of how to be able to, to, to deal with this in a biblical sort of way. And so what happens is the wife who's been told, protect this area of your life, just say no, it's forbidden, 
all of a sudden the switch is supposed to flip just because her parents threw a really expensive party called a wedding. And so now, okay, no, 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 but now turn it on, light should go on, yes. And it's really difficult for a lot of, uh, a lot of ladies. And then the husband, the, the men are like, like at a, a rodeo on the bull, they're in the stall and they're just like the door's open now and they're just, they're just going crazy, okay? It's like, okay, time, now it's time. And what happens is the men now all of a sudden think it's time for them to act out all of the fantasies in their brain on their wife. And much of that has been, in our day and age, has been fueled and formed by pornography. And so basically they're entering into marriage, young people are entering into marriage like Hugh Hefner. They're like Hugh Hefner looking at their wife on their wedding night because their brains have been, have been formed to see this, to see intimacy in that kind of way. And so it causes all kinds of challenges. My, um, when I pastored a church in Middle Tennessee, like I never thought I would ever have to do this. I never in my life, like, like seminary did not prepare me for this, but we had a young couple in our church who got married, and they called my wife and I, I mean, three days into the honeymoon uh, because they had not been able to consummate the relationship. And we had to, like, talk them through, talk them through it, okay? Again, there was no classes on that at seminary, okay? It was just like, <laughs> here's what you do, okay? Here's, try this, okay? Just try this. Um, and so there's, they have all these challenges because we've not given people a biblical framework on how to deal with this. And you add in baggage of those who are active before marriage, and then you, once you get married, there's differing drives, you know, maybe husband differing drive and wife. You got kids and job and tired and stress and finances. And then add to that guys who pout when they don't think it's happening enough, okay? They act like little babies. And then, and then the wife feels guilty about the frequency as well. And so it's just this vicious cycle to the point where this good gift that God's given us that's supposed to be a source of great joy in our marriage now has become a source of contention and conflict and frustration. And so what do we, what do, we do? We, we've got to look at the Bible and what God says. We've got to see his ideas on marriage and intimacy for ourselves, for our kids, for our families. And so, so sex, intimacy is a, a good gift that God gave us to be enjoyed in marriage. And I, I personally think that the day he thought it up was like a really good day. He, he, was, he was on his game that day, okay? When he, he wasn't like Tennessee yesterday. He was on his game that day that he, he created this. But what he knows is God has given us these desires and these desires to be enjoyed in marriage. And so he knows, and the Bible is very clear, that just, just say no, just say no, just say no doesn't work. That just the negative without putting a positive in the place is not, is not going to work. And so the Bible moves very quickly from the negative to the positive of enjoy lots of intimacy in marriage. And it's not just for procreation. Okay, it's for pleasure and for the protection of your marriage. There's an entire book in the Bible, Song of Solomon, Pastor Trent mentioned it last week, that's all about this topic. And guess what? Kids aren't mentioned even one time in the entire book. Okay, and so God has given this to us for the enjoyment of our marriage. And if it's not happening, it's a big deal. That's not, that's not what I, that's not me saying that, okay? Like, that's what God says in the Bible. If it's not happening, it is a big deal, okay? So I want us to see 
three things that Paul tells us to try to help us in this area to bring back the passion uh, in our marriage uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and 7. The first one is this. Paul says, avoid sexual sin at all costs. Avoid sexual sin at all costs. Look what Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. This is what Paul says. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now, skip down to verse 18. Paul says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. The first thing he, Paul says is that, that intimacy, physical intimacy, is so unique that sinning in that way is unique from all other sins. He says, because every other sin you do outside the body, but this is a sin against the body. So it's, it's very unique. And so, so God gives us a warning here, avoid it at all costs, okay? Avoid the misuse of this gift at all costs. And so he says, flee, do whatever it takes to flee from sexual immorality. And the, the word uh, in, in the Greek for sexual morality is the word porneia. We get pornography from it in English. And it means just any, any act outside of heterosexual marriage. Okay, that's what, that's what it means. And so it, it can cover all kinds of things, pornography and premarital and extramarital and all, all kinds of things. Okay. And so he says, he says, run away from it, get away from it. The problem is, I think that most of us often don't flee from it. We try to flirt with it. We try to get as close to it as we can without going over the line. It's why teenagers always ask their youth pastor, how far is too far? Okay, how, how, how much can I get away with? Or boyfriends, girlfriends trying to spend as much time alone together as they can uh, so that they can just see what might happen and experiment with what might happen. Another, this is crazy, uh, and I'm so glad we didn't have cell phones when I was a kid, uh, sexting has become a thing. Like I was, I was in uh, Alabama last week preaching and I was sitting down with a deacon who, who, he's the chairman of deacons in like this first Baptist small town in the South, okay? So there's like a small church, small town in the South and we're talking at lunch and he says, one of the big problems we have right now is all the deacons' kids are sending naked pictures of themselves to other kids in the youth group. Like this, this first Baptist in rural Alabama, they're having that, that challenge. And so, like, I'm glad that wasn't a thing when I was a kid, okay? But I, let me just say this, just real quick, okay, to, to all the, the ladies in the room. Like, why would you ever do that, okay? Like, I, I just, I don't, I don't get it. Like, I know, I know you're 15 and you're dating somebody and you're in love and think you're going to be together forever, but chances are you're probably not. And guess what happens when you break up? He still has that picture. And if he ticked him off when you broke up, he can do whatever he wants with that picture. Okay? So, like, why in the world would you... Like, I understand why the guys are asking for it, because I know the way sinful teenage boys' minds think. Uh, but why would the girls ever give that? Something that God has 
reserved just for you and just for your future husband to give that to somebody else. I don't, I don't understand why that's happening. But let's, let's talk to the guys, talk to parents and, and the men, especially in the room. Let's talk about cell phones, okay? Talk about cell phones. There's not one man in this room, not, not one dad in this room, if I said, raise your hand if you think it's a good idea to put a stack of Playboys on your kid's night table, their nightstand. Not one dad in the room would raise their hand. But guess what's plugged in on their nightstand next to the bed? A million Playboys right there at his fingertips. And you give your children unfettered access to their cell phones and you just think, well, you know, that's going to be a good idea. Or talk to the men right next to you at night. Billions of dollars worth of pornography right there. That right, you can look at it. You can, when your wife falls asleep, right there in the bed, you can, you, can, you can view pornography on your phone. Do you think that's a great idea to have no kind of accountability with that? But try to get as close to the line as we can get. And what, it ends up causing all kinds of havoc because it, it brings in this idea into marriage that intimacy is all about me. It's, it's all about my needs, my wants, my desires, and becomes a completely selfish thing, not in Ephesians 5, you're sacrificing for your spouse kind of thing. You've got people who live together before marriage. And then in marriage, you've got, you've got now marriages that are being destroyed because people think it's a good idea to, to reconnect with old boyfriends or girlfriends on Facebook. Like, that's a terrible idea. That's not a good idea. That's a terrible idea. You've got one of the things I've seen and, and pastor friends and I have talked about a lot is couples who they've gone through the kid phase and now they're, they're, they're raising their children and they're like, we need to get back in shape. We need to get in better shape. And so they, they get a membership at a gym. They start going to these classes at the gym, start really worrying about their appearance, trying to get healthy, trying to look better. And I'm not, I'm not saying that's wrong, but what ends up happening is they start connecting with somebody at the gym and, you know, she laughs at my jokes and my wife doesn't, or he listens better than my husband. And all of a sudden, before you know it, their, their marriage has been destroyed because of somebody that they were, they met at the gym and they think to themselves at the beginning, it's what, you know, what's the problem with a little harmless flirting? It's not that big a deal. It is a big deal. Paul says to run away from it. Take extreme measures because it's going to cost you your life. He says it's going to send you to hell if you don't repent of it. It's going to send you to hell. It costs you your families. It costs you your marriage, respect of your children. And so one of the ways that you can fight and take extreme measures when it comes to sexual immorality is imagine, picture for yourself in your brain the cost of messing up here. Picture for yourself the cost of messing up here. One of the ways I often do this is an article a friend of mine wrote called Envision the End of Your Sin. And, and here's what he says. He, he, he walks through this scenario where a man has cheated on his wife, has been found out, and then now he needs to go and tell his, tell his wife. And so he says, picture this. He said, I want you to picture walking to your car, getting in, driving down the road near your house, and circling your neighborhood a few times. Picture the place where you walked the dog with your children in the evenings. Now pull into your driveway and walk up to the door of your home. Hear the scampering feet of your children running up to you and putting their arms around your legs saying, Daddy's home. See the way they love and trust you. Drink that in deeply. Now tell them to go outside and play because you've got to talk to Mommy about something. As you walk to the kitchen where she's faithfully going about her day, look at those smiling pictures on the wall. Remember those happy days you shared together. Lead her by the hand to your bedroom 
where you used to make love. Ask her to have a seat. Feel your, the lump form in your throat. See her eyes ask you what's wrong. Then watch her weep as you tell her you've been unfaithful. Hear her cry. See her sob. Feel her hit your chest and fall to, the, fall to her knees in despair. Imagine the phone call to her parents and to yours. Hear the silence on the phone as they take in what you've told them. Imagine the day you gather your children Sit them down to explain why mommy and daddy are going to spend some time apart and you sell the house they love so much. See yourself taking down those smiling pictures from the wall and taping up the moving boxes, unsure if you will ever open them again. Do you see it? Sin doesn't tell you about those days, does it? And so one of the ways that we fight is we picture the consequences of what our sin will bring. And the other way we fight, he gives us here, is this reminder, you don't belong to yourself. Jesus bought you by his blood. You belong to him. How in the world can you do this kind of thing when you belong to Jesus? There's a a great book. I would encourage anybody, uh, single or married, to get this book. Tim Keller, uh, The Meaning of Marriage. It's a great great book on marriage. But he walks through how to deal with temptation uh, from the book Jane Eyre, okay? And so let me just read this to you uh, quickly. But this is for singles in the room who are trying to fight temptation and, and married in the room trying to fight temptation. He says, ultimately, Keller, it is not techniques that will enable single Christians to practice the Christian sex ethic. It will take conviction. In the classic novel Jane Eyre, Jane has fallen in love with Mr. Rochester. But she has also learned that he is married and that his mentally ill wife lives in an upper room in his estate. Nevertheless, he urges her to live with him as his mistress. This touches off an inner storm and enormous conflict in her heart. And this is what Jane says. While he spoke, my very conscience and reason turned traitor against me and charged me with a crime in resisting him. Tell him you love him and and you will be his. Who in the world cares for you like he does? Who will be injured if you do this? But then... He, Keller goes on, she, he's lonely, miserable, she could comfort him. He's rich, loves her, and after her life of hardship, surely she deserves this, but she resists. And here's, here's what she says in her brain as she's processing this. I will keep the law that's been given by God. I will hold to the principles received by me when I was sane and not crazy as I am now. Laws and principles are not for the times when there is no temptation. They are for such moments as this, when body and soul rise in mutiny against you. Stringent are they, inviolate they shall be. If at my individual convenience I might break them, what would be their worth? They have a worth, so I've always believed. And if I cannot believe it now, it is because I am insane, quite insane. Preconceived opinions, foregone determinations are all I have at this hour to stand by. There I plant my feet. And so she refuses, and this is what Keller says. She ignores what her heart says and looks to what God says. The moral laws of God at that very moment made no sense to her heart and mind at all. They didn't appear reasonable. They didn't even appear fair. But she says, if she could break them when they appear inconvenient to her, of what worth would they be? If you only obey God's word when it seems reasonable or profitable to you, well, that's not really obedience at all. Obedience means you give someone else an authority over you that is there even when you don't agree with him. On God's word then, not our feelings and passions, she plants her feet. 
I have, seen, I have never seen anywhere a more clear or eloquent example of what a Christian single person's inner dialogue should be with regard to temptation. And so you belong to God and you have to fight in that kind of way. I'm not going to ignore him and abandon him just because it doesn't seem reasonable to me at the time. Now, that's the negative. And so Paul now moves to the positive. The second thing we see here, 1 Corinthians 7, the best defense against sexual sin is a strong offense in marriage, okay? Didn't see good defense or offense yesterday, but best defense against sexual sin is a strong offense in marriage. Look what Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of the temptation to sexual morality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Let me explain briefly what's happening here. The church at Corinth had written Paul a letter with all, all kind of issues and questions that they were struggling with as a church. We don't have that letter. It's not, it's not been preserved. And so Paul, as part of his letter to the church at Corinth, writes back to answer their questions. And so verse 1, there were people in the church, like, like you think churches in the 21st century are messed up. Like first century Corinth, here's what you had at the church of Corinth. Guys who said, it's okay for me to have sex with a prostitute. And then other guys who said, you're supposed to be celibate in marriage. Like, like it was like two extremes here in this church, okay? So like others are, are, are justifying their, their sexual sin, and then there's others who are saying you shouldn't even enjoy intimacy in marriage. And so Paul says, no, no, God has given you this as a gift to be enjoyed in marriage. And then he lays out the responsibilities for each party and what they're supposed to do. And he says, he says, give your conjugal rights to your wife and you to your husband and, and have at it, okay? And so you say, what does that mean? It means exactly what it says it does, okay? Like enjoy lots of intimacy in marriage. Don't deprive one another. That's exactly what it means. And I'm, I, for one, am thankful that we believe in a literal interpretation of the Bible, right? And James 1 tells us, don't be just hearers of the word, but be doers also, okay? So like, application. I mean, I could give you like a challenge, like Pastor Trent gave you like really spiritual challenges, like pray with your spouse every day. I could give you a challenge based on this one, but I, I'm trying to keep it as PG as possible, okay? And so just apply it, okay? Like, like obey it, okay? Just do it, all right? Uh, that's what is, that's what's happening here. And so uh, Paul is actually very countercultural with what he's talking about. There's, in a patriarchal society like ancient Corinth, it, it would be unheard of for somebody to say to the husband, your body belongs to your wife. That's, uh, that would be unheard of. They, they would definitely think that the wife belonged to the husband. But they would never say that the husband belonged to the wife. And so Paul is very countercultural here. And he says, this is something that's to be mutually beneficial. It's a mutual thing. It's a selfless, not a selfish thing. Uh, but it's something where you don't need to deprive one another for very long. He says, or you're giving Satan an opportunity to attack your marriage. Okay. That's what Paul says, okay? That's not, that's not me saying this. Like, like, ladies, your husband didn't pull me aside last week and be like, John, I really think you need to touch on this topic next week, okay? Hey, that didn't happen, all right? This is, this is what God says uh, in his word. 
And if it's not happening uh, in a normal uh, ongoing pattern in your, in your marriage, then it, it really is a, a, a troubling thing, okay? It's, it's something that can cause all kinds of, of heartache. And there's, a, there's this, this cycle that starts to happen in a, in a marriage where intimacy is rare, where one spouse starts to feel kind of rejected or unwanted or unloved. Resentment starts to set in. Uh, the spouse may act out sinfully with pornography or an affair or just, you know, just staying late at the office or whatever it is, trying to minimize their interaction uh, with their spouse, justifying their behavior all the time because they're like, well, if I'm, it's not happening at home, then, then why shouldn't I take care of myself? As resentment builds, communication breaks down, okay? If the man is the one frustrated, I mean, just be honest, okay? Usually the man is, men are so, are such babies often, okay? Uh, And so men are often very cowardly and very passive and just won't talk about these kinds of things. And so they won't, they won't broach with their wife. And so that communication breaks down that way. If they do bring it up, then sometimes the wife will respond angrily and say, well, all you think about is sex. And then communication, you know, kind of reaches a stalemate. Or we'll say things like, well, you know, you're never, you're never affectionate with me in a, in a non-sexual way. You don't, you know, rub my back and you're not, hold my hands. And, and what ends up happening is in, the, in this cycle is that becomes kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy, okay? Is that now there's this resentment between the two. And so communication's broken down. Then any kind of affection, you know, intimate or non-intimate affection starts to break down. Hugs become rare, uh, you know, kisses become rare, saying I love you becomes rare. And at some point that becomes the new normal and you just kind of stew in it and you either get a divorce, somebody has an affair, or you just remain together as intimacy-less roommates for the sake of the kids. And this happens in a lot of marriages and that's exactly what Satan wants to happen in your marriage, Paul says. And so we need to understand uh, that intimacy, sex, is relationship glue, that it's, it's, it's one of the things that holds your relationship together. We, we just did a series on true friends. Listen, friends are great and friends are wonderful, and you can relate to your friends in almost every single way that you relate to your spouse, except for one. This is the only thing that's different with your friends than your spouse, okay? And so this, this kind of exclusivity, that's something you do with your, your wife, your husband, and not with anyone else is something that's, that's vitally important to your marriage. And so we need to get this right. Now, let me just kind of give some practical, uh, you know, just some practical tips for us as we kind of navigate this. Don't use these verses to beat up your spouse, okay? Like, guys, it's not a good pickup line to say, well, Paul says you're not supposed to deprive me. Like, that's not a good pickup line. It's not going to go well uh, for you. Um, so don't, don't use to beat, people, beat up your spouse. Don't use this, don't use intimacy as like a, a manipulation ploy in your marriage as a, as a bartering, you know, as a, as a way to kind of control your spouse. Uh, there may be times of hardship. There may be times, as Paul says, that you're having to, it could be a physical health challenge, whatever, that, you know, during those times, get creative and try, maybe try to find some ways uh, around it. But if it's not happening on a regular basis, it, it's an indication of some issue in your marriage. It could be communication a challenge. Usually there's, a, there's an underlying issue that, um, that, that's kind of the, the root cause. And so you need to, you need to, to really, really um, 
pay attention to this and work at it, okay? Understand the needs and the desires of your spouse and do what you can to work to meet them and be, be sacrificial. Don't be all about you, be about uh, your, your spouse, okay? So let me be real practical. I'm gonna try to stay as PG as I can. According to the Bible, any intimate act within marriage is, is permissible, okay? Uh, as a three fact that it meets three criteria, okay? It's mutual. Both parties agree to it, okay? It is not harmful, and it doesn't introduce a third party, real or imagined, okay? And so, Bible says, have at it, but you, you've got you've to work at it um, because, and especially you have kids and finances and and work, and you're tired, and stressed, and frustrated, and, but you, you've got to work at it. Nothing in your marriage is going to get better just by not working on it, okay? And so you've got, so you've got to work at it to try to reconcile and bring back, bring back the passion, okay? When you were when you, in the mixtape phase, there was all kinds of passion, okay? And so try to, and it's different, and, and things do change over time, but try to, try to do best and bring it back. So some tips, especially for guys, um, You've got you've to continue to pursue your wife, okay? I, I know your wife would tell you this, like, the chase is appealing to women. And so when, you, when, you got, when guys feel like, I got her, and now I can just sit back and, and kind of go into coast mode, it does, that doesn't work, okay? And so you've got to chase your spouse. Do the things that you did in the beginning. Text her during the day, Right? leave her notes, give her gifts for no reason, get her flowers for no specific occasion, take her on dates, try to do, get time away without the kids. Um, one, one of the things my dad used to say, and this is one of the, the most helpful uh, things that he, he said, romance is like a game. And he says like a very specific game, hide and seek, okay? The wife hides it and the husband goes and seeks it, okay? And so when, you, when the husband goes and seeks it, and he finds it, it's, it's good, and it's wonderful, and it's, it's awesome. But then what happens is the wife moves it to another location, okay? She hides it somewhere else. And you go back to the same spot, and you're like, man, this, is, this worked for me the other day. It's not, it's not working for me now. And he said, my dad said, you got two options, okay? You can get mean and grumpy and pout like a baby, or you can remember it's a game, and games are fun, and I may have lost today, but I get a chance to try to win again tomorrow. And so let's just try to find where it is. But you've got, you've got to pursue your spouse. Another thing is, again, got to talk about it. Just say no and not talk about it, not think about it. Doesn't work. And so talk with your spouse. Have, have a meaningful conversation about this. Like, how can I ask this question, guys? And don't, don't get all up in your feels when, when she says something you know, that you, that you don't like, but like, how can I be more attractive for you? Can I just be honest with you? People ask me sometimes, like, why do you have a beard? I have a beard for one reason. My wife likes my beard, okay? If she said, I want to date a guy who's, who's bald and has no facial hair, I'd, I'd bring out the razor tomorrow, okay? Like, people are like, why do you dress the way you dress? I, my wife picks out my clothes. You know why? I, I have a very specific strategy for letting my wife pick out my clothes. One is I'm colorblind. But the second one is, I want her to like the way I look, okay? And so ask those kind of questions. Ask 
how can I be more attractive to you? Women, ask that kind of question of your husband. Is there things you, I, you like that I wear? Are there things you, you don't like? Ask those kinds of questions. Now, again, be considerate when, and be kind when you answer those questions. Don't get your feelings hurt if somebody gives you constructive feedback, okay? But uh, the other thing, guys, let me say this. Compliment your wife's looks, okay? And here's the thing. The challenge that we have in this oversexed culture and, and just this, this constant bombardment of these like beautiful people, whatever, is that, that guys especially have this idea that beauty is this like external category over here. And then you judge women and you judge your wife based on this external category. Does she measure up, right? In the old days, it was, you know, she's a 10 or whatever. Okay, you, does she measure up? Let me say this. That's ridiculous, guys. Your standard of beauty is your wife. It's not somebody you're measuring your wife against. Your standard of beauty is your wife. And so guess what? If, you're, if your wife, if you're married and your wife's nine months pregnant, guess what you're, you think is beautiful? Nine-month pregnant women that have your wife's name, okay? Like that's your standard of beauty, okay? So, so compliment your wife. Don't ever make your wife feel insecure about her appearance around you. It's just, that, that's a, a real game changer, okay? Um, this is the great thing about, about this issue is you get to become an expert on one person by this lifetime commitment that you have with them. And intimacy is truly found in that kind of exclusivity. Intimacy is really found, again, not just in the physical acts, but in this sharing of life, this one flesh union that you have with one person and, and with no body else. And so that's what we, we want. We want this, a true love that lasts, not some cheap encounter that's just, that's no better than a porno, okay? You want true love that lasts. Number three, finally, Paul says, don't rush to change your status, okay? Don't rush to change your status. Look what he says there in chapter seven, verse eight. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest, I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. Now skip down to verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Here's what Paul's saying. The, the bottom line, he says, don't rush to change your status. If you're married, stay married. If you're single, don't rush to get married. Okay? Now, talk to the singles in the room. There are two different categories of singles. There's single for, uh, it's a gift that God's given you or single for a season, as in you're going to get married, okay? There is the gift of singleness. Paul mentions it here, and one way to know whether or not you have the gift of singleness, he says, is are, are you able to control your, your passions, I mean, your desires? If you're able to control your desires and you don't necessarily feel like you uh, want to be married or have a family, those kinds of things, then that might be an indication from God that you uh, have the gift of singleness. And he says the gift of singleness is actually a very good and very beneficial thing because single people can do things for God and for the kingdom of God that married people can't, that you can pour out your life serving uh, and advancing the kingdom of God. Whereas he says married people, we're, we're worrying about 
kids and, and bills and ball games and practices and, and, and choir and, and band and all these different things. We have all these different things that are crowding into our life that we've got to pay attention to. And the single people don't have those things. And so you're able to take great risks for God and take great risks for the kingdom of God. Okay, and so if you're single and you have the gift of singleness, then use it because it's a great benefit to God's mission. And if you're single for a season, like you're single now and you're going to get married, still pour out your life in service to the kingdom of God. Really, really work hard at advancing the kingdom of God. And here's what's going to happen. As you do that, as you're serving the Lord, you're going to be able to look around you and see other people who are serving the Lord. And those are the kind of people you want to marry. Okay, those are the kind of people that you want to be in a relationship with ultimately. So he says, if you're single, don't rush. Uh, just, just be content with where you are. And if you're married, he says, don't give up. Don't give up on your marriage. Because here's, here's the thing, Keller talks about this in his book, which is, which is really interesting. Like if, we, if we're Christians, okay, and we have a, we have a Christian conception of the world. What, one of the things that, that Christianity says, one thing that the Bible says, if you're a believer then God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, is working on you, okay? And he's working on you to make you a better version of yourself, okay? And ultimately, one day, when you go to glory, he's going to finish that, that project that he's been working on you. But it, so, so he's working on you, and you're going to get better. Here's what he says happens. In marriage, you, you're married to this person. You've been together. You, have, uh, you recognize their flaws. You recognize their challenges. You, you recognize their issues. You recognize the things that they do that kind of annoy you a little bit. And so you, sometimes people start to think to themselves, I need to find somebody better. I need to find somebody better to be with. And what, what Keller says in his book is he says, uh, the, the challenge with that is the person you're with right now is going to be a better version of themselves. And if you just abandon this, this marriage, you just walk out on this marriage, what's going to happen is when you get married to somebody else, guess what? Whether it's a year or five years or 10 or 15, 20 years, you're going to recognize their flaws as well. And you're going to recognize the things that they are challenged with. And you're going to recognize the things they do that annoy you. And then so you're going to start the project all over again. And he says, if you would have just stayed with your spouse originally, then you would have worked through all those things. And maybe God would have done the work of, of improving them and changing them. And, but then you scrapped it. And he says, you're going through this cycle of infatuation, then disillusionment, then flight. And it's a never-ending cycle. So stick with the person you're with and really, really work on your marriage. Now, let me close with this. Um, I understand that in a room this size, I, I don't know everybody and I don't know what you're, what you're dealing with and I don't know what you're struggling with. But in a room this size, size, there's all kinds of backgrounds and there's all kinds of experiences, okay? So everybody comes to this topic with a different framework, different set of, of experiences. And so you may be like, John, man, I've, I've blown it in this area. I, I just, I, my life's a mess. And man, I wish I would have heard this 20 years ago, but man, I, you know, I don't even know what to do now. Okay, so all kinds of different experiences in this room. So let me, let me walk through this thing that we call the three circles. I know, I think we've, as a church, used this to explain how to, how to share the gospel with people. But this is, this is really helpful for almost any uh, any topic of life, but I want to apply it specifically to this, this area of intimacy and, and be an encouragement to everybody in the room, okay? So the first thing we need to understand is this, that God has a design, okay? It's the first circle. It's God's design, okay? God has created the world 
and he has a design for everything in your life. He has a design for the way your marriage is supposed to work, your family, your sex life, your finances, your friendships, your work ethic, everything. God has a design. He says, this, this is what you're to do with this, and this is the way life works best, okay? God has given us a design for everything in our life, okay? Including when it comes to intimacy. God's design is one man, one woman, covenant of marriage. That's the, the only place to enjoy this gift that God has given, okay? In a heterosexual marriage, okay? That's God's design, all right? The problem is we depart from God's design. The Bible uses a word to, to describe departing from God's design. Anybody know what that word is? Sin, okay? So we sin by using intimacy in all kinds of ways that God told us not to, whether it's pornography or premarital or extramarital or whatever it is. What ends up happening when we depart from God's design, inevitably, we end up in brokenness. Because the consequences of departing from God's design, God said this is the way that it works best. We depart from it, so we end up in brokenness, okay? Again, our, our could be the way pornography has affected our brain. It could be a series of relationships where we, we feel cheap and we feel dirty and, and we feel unloved and all these kinds of things or marriage breakup or marriage contention or whatever it is. We, we end up in this, this area of brokenness. And brokenness, it hurts and it's, it's painful. And so what we do is we want to get out of the brokenness, but oftentimes we try to find all these ways out of the brokenness, but we just end up more and more broken over and over again. We think the next relationship is going to have what the previous one didn't, but it doesn't. And we feel broken again. And we think this next thing that we're going to try, man, that's going to be, if I, if I just get married, if I just get married, that's, it's going to make everything better. And then you get married, and it doesn't make everything better. If I can just get divorced, everything's going to be better. You get divorced, everything's not better. Okay. And so your life is, is hurting and you're broken because you've departed from God's design. You're trying to find all these ways out of it and it's not working. Okay. And you feel cheap and you feel, you just feel awful and you want something to change. And this is where the, the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ comes in. And the good news is this. God didn't leave us in our brokenness. God didn't leave us in this pain. He actually became one of us. He died. He took our brokenness on him. He took our sin on him at the cross. He died on the cross. He was raised from the dead on the third day. And he offers you a new life, brand new life, completely forgiven of your sin, slate wiped clean, brand new start. This is what he offers you. This is the good news. And so you've got to repent, turn away from your brokenness, turn away from your sin, and believe that Jesus died for you, that he was raised from the dead, that he's offering you a new life, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So you're going to repent, you're going to believe the gospel, and so he's going to give you that brand new slate. You're going to be a, a brand new life, okay? But here's what happens. Just because you've been forgiven, and just because you've got a brand new life doesn't mean that you can go back to the past and undo everything that's been done. You're like, John, man, I, I mean, I, I've got these, these, these wrecked marriages and this, this stuff that's happened in my past, and I wish I could go back and put the pieces together again, but I just don't know how to do that. How am I going to do that? Let's be honest. You can't go back and undo what's been done, and you can't go back and put the pieces of your life back together, but here's what the gospel offers you. The gospel offers you a brand new start from this point forward. Not go back and try to fix what's in the past. But from this point forward, you can now, because of what Jesus has done for you, recover and pursue God's design for your life. Wherever you're at, in your marriage, in your singleness, 
wherever you're at right now, you can be given a, a fresh, clean start, and you can begin to pursue, pursue God's design for intimacy in marriage. And he offers you that kind of brand new life. So I don't know where you are in the room today. I don't know what you're experiencing. I don't know what brokenness you're feeling, but God offers you hope. He offers you a brand new start. Let me ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ right now for everybody in the room. I pray for the single people in the room, those who are single by gift that you've given to them. God, would they pour out their life in service to your kingdom and advancing your mission. Father, for the people in the room who are single just for a time and are wanting to get married, I pray that you would help them to fight for purity right now that they would, they would fight to live life the way that you have called them to live life, that you would bring into their life other men, women who love you, love your kingdom, are pursuing you, that they can date and court and ultimately get married to. And so, Father, protect them for that and, and save them for that and prepare those people to be in their life right now and prepare them to be the type of people to recognize those people in their life. And Father, I pray for the married couples in the room. Father, I pray that we would fight for our marriages, that we would fight for romance, that we'd fight for intimacy, that we would fight for true love. Father, we wouldn't give up. We're so thankful for your forgiveness. We recognize that we fall short. We recognize that we need your grace. We recognize we need to be gracious to one another. So Father, I pray that you would give the marriages in this room true love and intimacy that glorifies you. And Father, I pray for every person in this room who's broken, help them to know that you love them, that you came to planet earth to die for them, Jesus, and to give them new life. And so Father, I pray that they would receive that new life today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Vigils Church can be found online at vigilschurch.com.